0: I'm Cameron Silsby, and this is the Van City Church Podcast. In the same breath that Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commands, he also said that we would have help through the Holy Spirit. While that's reassuring, it also begs the question what does it look and feel like to have help in our day to day lives from the Holy Spirit? About five and a half years ago, I found myself sitting in an office building I'd never been in. Sweaty palms, adrenaline coursing through my body. I sat in a chair wearing shorts in the dead of summer, but fighting off a shiver from an effective AC unit blowing cold air. Or maybe it was a slight tremble from the adrenaline. Either way, I sat waiting for my name to be called, invited into a meeting. Uncertainty, fear, doubt, if the next hour or so in this meeting went badly, what would that mean for my life? Cue a wave of anxiety. If it went well, what would that mean? Cue a wave of hope, hope. I sat waiting for my appointment, uh, an interview really, uh, knowing that I was objectively unqualified. No undergrad degree that was typically required, I had to prove that despite no degree, I was qualified in different ways. I belonged, I could hold my own. In my head, I'm thinking, okay, so try to look calm, try to speak calmly and confidently. I remind myself to take this interview with an open hand. If I'm not qualified, if I'm not a good candidate, then it's best not to jump into something that would be bad for all parties. Rejection could actually be a blessing in disguise. So, try to be calm, I tell myself. Hold this with an open hand. And it works for a few minutes. Anxiety ebbs, and I can feel my body relax a bit. And then the office door opens, And a man a bit shorter than I am in his 60s steps out, looks at me, and says, Cameron? It's the first time I've met him, and while I'm a nobody to him, I definitely know of him. A wave of anxiety immediately shoots through me as he calls my name and I stand up. I'm about to interview with a man who has been a professor longer than I've been alive. He's the head of a seminary theology department who interacts in dialogues with theologians I've been reading for years. And I'm about to find out whether I can enter into seminary with no no undergrad degree into a program this man has created and pioneered for men and women who work for churches. Did I mention that I'm definitely unqualified? As a church, We've, been, we've just finished up a four-year study of the Gospel of Matthew, and then right before that, we finished up a much shorter series on the spiritual practice of simplicity. We're a church that highly values a rigorous study of the scriptures, theology, and historical context, all of that. We also highly, uh, highly value putting into action Jesus' teaching and lifestyle as a way to draw close to God, to be with him. We want to be with him through that. We want to become like him as we're shaped by his spirit and our choices, and we want to do what Jesus did, ultimately. Not just know his teachings, but to live them out in our lives. We're also a church that places an emphasis on real-time interaction with God's spirit. Listening for him to speak, uh, sharing what we think he wants us to share, We expect God to do stuff through the Holy Spirit. We expect to experience God through the Holy Spirit. It's something we've come a long way in as a church. Uh, We've grown together in understanding and experiencing the Holy Spirit. Uh, We've practiced it together, smoothed some of the rough edges. We did a series on the Holy Spirit back in the fall of 2019, which at this point feels like a decade ago. And it's still something we're growing in as a church. And to continue uh, to grow in it takes us having conversations, learning and relearning and practicing a dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I realize that could sound weird to you or an unfamiliarity with the Holy Spirit may make you feel uncomfortable. Or it could conjure up ridiculous situations and painful experiences of people doing stuff in the name of the Holy Spirit. Or you could be really excited for God's Spirit to do stuff, open and ready to receive, ready to participate. You've readily grown in your relationship with the Holy Spirit over the years. And we're a church that has people participating with a wide variety of postures towards God's Spirit. You don't have to pass some sort of spiritual test, prophesy, or speak in tongues to be a part of City. That is not part of basics. But that doesn't mean we don't think it's important to grow in your relationship with the Spirit. It's not just important. We believe it's integral to following Jesus. We think a vibrant, interactive relationship with God's Spirit is the way God designed life with him and how he wants it to be. So before we jump into a new book of the Bible next week and we're wrestling through all the historical context and parsing Koine Greek and all that good stuff, we're gonna talk about the Holy Spirit, life with him and what it looks like. Sound good? Great, let's do this. Again, I'm picturing you guys all smiling at me, not scowling. Open your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, the words of Jesus to his disciples with his death hours away are interesting. What would you say to a loved one if you only had hours left with them? I imagine you would hope that they would certainly uh, take them with a special significance. So look down with me at verse 15 of John chapter 14. Jesus said this to his friends, the disciples. If you love me, keep my commands. So far, so good. Sounds like quintessential Jesus, not interested in esoteric belief, but looking for his followers to actually live out his teachings, even the really hard teachings. Love your enemy, turn the other cheek, forgive as you have been forgiven. Piece of cake, right? But just Jesus continues on. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The the word that we have in our English translations, advocate, is the translation of the Greek word uh, parakletos. It's a tricky word to translate into English. Advocate is one way to capture the meaning of parakletos. Uh, Helper is another way it could be translated. Counselor. If you wanted a dictionary definition for parakletos, it would be something like one called upon for support or one called in for assistance. So Jesus says to his disciples, not only do I expect you to follow my teachings, following them is the way you show your love for me. And then immediately he says, and you'll have help. For the follower of Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit is our helper, the one making possible obedience and love for Jesus. We need the help. And God's Spirit is present with us to give it. And get this, apparently, he will always be with us, forever. Now Jesus has a little bit more to say about the Holy Spirit. He says, the world, that is people who are far from God, cannot accept him because it neither sees him. Or knows. Which means, don't be surprised when people think you are ridiculous or delusional when you experience the presence of God. They don't know him. So of course it sounds kind of nutty. But Jesus goes on, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. An imagery that reaches back into the story of Israel from the Old Testament. For followers of Jesus, we are temples housing the presence of the living God. The Holy Spirit goes with you wherever you go, is present with you in every situation, and he knows you, your inner workings, your thoughts, your desires. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The presence of the Spirit in your life isn't the presence of an overbearing authority figure waiting with anticipation to catch you falling short. He is the presence that makes tangible your adoption into God's family. I will not leave you as orphans. The presence of the reality of your loving Father. God has not abandoned you to figure out this life with Him. He is with you Through the Spirit. As we look to follow the commands of Jesus and to live out his lifestyle, our relationship with the Holy Spirit is one of participation and partnership. We aren't left to our own uh, devices to pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps, but we also aren't completely passive sitting around waiting to get zapped by the Holy Spirit so that we can be like Jesus. The relationship is interactive, dynamic, we're in this together for the rest of our lives. But what does this all mean for life and how we experience it? To have an advocate, to have the Holy Spirit in us and with us. What does that mean, what does that look like? Well, there are three things we can look at tonight Begin to just begin to answer that question. It'll take some more Bible work, though, flipping through it, uh, the scriptures, uh, and seeing what the Holy Spirit does. But let's explore what it looks like when we experience the Spirit of God. Turn in your Bibles to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. The story of the scriptures begins this way in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. It can be translated as breath or wind, and think of the air that is exhaled as you breathe or talk, or even when you say the word ruach. The presence of the Spirit is indicative of the presence of God, a life-giving, new creation kind of presence. Jesus and the New Testament authors pick up on this theme of a life-giving, new creation presence that begins in the opening words of the Scriptures. In the biography of Jesus that Luke pens, Jesus quotes from the Old Testament to explain what the heck he's doing. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, God is working something new, some healing and and something life giving through the Spirit empowered Jesus something that points forward and also draws into the present the future healing and restoration of all things. New creation, something new. And now Paul, writing to his protege Titus, applies the, this idea of the Spirit doing something new to followers of Jesus, not just to himself. Paul wrote this to Titus, At, what, at, what, at one time we two were foolish disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, or in other words, not because we were great at anything in particular or impressed him, but because of his mercy. He saved us through Listen to this, the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Paul goes on to say, I want you, that is Titus, to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Because of the Spirit's work of renewal and rebirth, because the Spirit of the Lord is on us as followers of Jesus, we proclaim the good news. We devote ourselves to doing what is good, what is in line with Jesus' lifestyle and teachings. Rebirth and renewal is not just things that we have, something that we live out. It fundamentally changes the way we live so that our lives follow the pattern of Jesus and point forward to and also draw into the present the future healing and restoration of all things. The coming of new creation starts now with us. So one of the marks of the advocate or helper is a life that is changed and in line with the lifestyle and teachings of Jesus. And the scriptures have a lot of different ways of explaining this and a lot of different examples of behavior. One of the most well-known is what is referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, Paul wrote this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's slow down there and just imagine this in your life. What would it look like if you were loving what would it look like if you were full of joy what it would look like if you have peace in your life or if you had forbearance or patience what would it look like if you were kind if you were full of goodness if you were faithful you were a gentle person what would it look like if you had self control that's the power of the spirit at work with you that's the new creation breaking through a person's life that's what it looks like the holy spirit helps us by working in us new creation A new way of living and being that is in line with the teachings of Jesus, the character of God, and God's promise to restore all things. And like a strong current in a river, this is the pull of the Spirit in our lives. It's certainly something we can fight against or try to ignore. Again, we have a part to play in all of this. You and I have choices to make every single day. But according to Jesus, the Spirit is present with us, every day, with us as we make every single decision in life, big or small, he's present, pulling us towards new creation. It's not just behavior that the Spirit impacts, he shapes our experience of God, he shapes our spirituality and spiritual experience. Turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 44. It's about halfway through your Bible. Don't be shy if you need to consult the table of contents to find it. Isaiah chapter 44, the prophet. Isaiah um, used imagery of desert living to set up a metaphor for what God intended to do with his spirit. Imagine living in in a hot, thirsty, dry, and desolate place with... Little to no relief from the heat and the dirt and never quite having your thirst quenched. Now look down at Isaiah chapter 44 in verse 1. But now listen, Jacob my servant, Israel whom I have chosen. This is what Yahweh says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob my servant, Jeshurun whom I have chosen, for... Listen to this in verse three. I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. With the pouring out of God's spirit, his people will be able to flourish and thrive like a lush green meadow. Like a well watered grove of trees, even though they're more like a spiritual desert at the moment. When the Spirit is poured out, things change. This metaphor for God's Spirit as water is something that continues on into the New Testament. Jesus had the audacity to draw from this imagery in Isaiah and apply it to himself. Jesus said this, on the last day, in the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Believe in Jesus and you will have rivers of living water flowing from you. You will have an abundance of the Spirit spilling out of your life. Think back to what Paul wrote to Titus. He said that we have been saved through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us, there's the water metaphor, generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Or, how about a story found in the book of Acts about the post resurrection church? Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, is just finishing up giving a sermon to a bunch of Gentiles, that is, non Jewish people, to a Roman commander and his household. And listen to how this sermon winds up for Peter and the group listening. While Peter was still speaking these words, so he's not quite done with his sermon yet, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, uh, that is, uh, followers of Jesus who were also observant to the Jewish law, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been, what? Poured out, even on Gentiles, even on people who don't observe the Jewish law. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. It wasn't Peter's sermon that resulted in the crowd praising God, it was the pouring out of the Spirit. The advocate, our helper, the Holy Spirit, shapes and energizes how we experience the reality of God. He is poured out and good things happen, flourishing, thriving, spiritual thirst quenched, a strong urge and drive to praise Jesus. As I was studying and writing this week, I had a strong sense that there would be people here tonight or on the live stream or listening to the podcast who feel spiritually thirsty, who feel spiritually parched. Your life feels like a spiritual desert. And if that's you, whether you're not quite sure about this Jesus stuff or you've been following him for decades, Don't run from the feeling of being spiritually parched. Take a moment right now to just acknowledge that's where you're at. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Turn in your Bibles one more time to the prophet Joel. Flip through like five books of the Bible after Isaiah and you'll hit Joel, or just do the table of contents again. We have one more way the Spirit impacts our life that we'll look at tonight. Look at what Yahweh says through the prophet Joel. That's Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 28. Yahweh says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This prophecy in Joel comes at a time when God's spirit came upon only a certain, uh, certain people and only for small stretches of time. God's spirit was something that prophets and priests and every once in a while kings experienced. The spirit would empower select people for a specific purpose and then he would leave them. Uh, which makes what Joel wrote down wild. This is thousands of years before Pentecostal revivals. Men and women, old and young, important people and servants, the Spirit will be poured out on everyone. And stuff will happen. Prophecy dreams, visions, different ways God will directly speak to his people, to everyone. And this, is actually, uh, this actually ended up happening. There's a story in the book of Acts that details the Spirit coming on Jesus' remaining disciples after his death, empowering them to speak in languages that they didn't know. Peter preaches a sermon, thousands of people decide to follow Jesus. It's a pretty incredible story. But it wasn't a one-off event. The church from its infancy organized their weekly gatherings around the empowering presence of the Spirit. Something in the West that, apart from Pentecostal circles, is typically not the case. The early church expected the Spirit to do things through people, things often referred to as manifestations of of the Spirit or gifts from the Spirit. Paul wrote to a church in the city of Corinth that sounds like it would have rivaled any modern, wild, Pentecostal revival. In this part of the letter, which I'm about to read, I would summarize it as Paul telling the Corinthians, you all need to chill out. He writes this, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Paul explains what the Spirit is up to among them and that it's all for the common good. And then, of course, he'll go on in the letter to say, Stop being weird. Get back to singing your five worship songs written by Bethel or Hillsong and listen to a 30-minute TED Talk on the Bible. Not exactly. Just a little bit later in the letter, Paul writes... What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak, one at a time and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Paul is telling them not to, uh, Paul is not telling them to stop doing all the Holy Spirit stuff. He's teaching them how to incorporate manifestations of the Spirit into their weekly gathering in an orderly way. Rather than an event that a person comes to watch, a church gathering is intended to be interactive, participatory, a a time as the Spirit moves and speaks as he wants and to who he wants, all for the common good, all for the church to be built up. The advocate, the helper that Jesus told his disciples would come manifests himself by empowering followers of Jesus to know, understand, speak, and do certain things that they would not be able to do on their own. Things like prophecy which is contrary to popular belief, rarely about predicting the future. Prophecy is simply, as one theologian defines it, speaking what God spontaneously brings to mind. Most often, according to Paul, prophecy is for encouragement and building up, not some sort of Christian version of fortune-telling. The Spirit also does stuff like healing people physically and emotionally, using followers of Jesus as partners as they pray for healing. The list of what the Spirit does goes on. The point being, the Spirit manifests himself in the life of a follower of Jesus in specific, tangible ways. Now, all of this provides a really broad overview of how we view the Holy Spirit and how that shapes our church. And like pretty much everything else in life, uh, COVID has interrupted most of our rhythms of experiencing God's Spirit together together as a church on a Sunday. We've adjusted in some ways. We've continued to come to church with an expectation that God's spirit will interact with us. So we still listen for him to speak over us in various ways during the gathering. But something that's been hugely missing over the last year or so is having a prayer team a space where in real time a person can feel led and go back to the prayer team, talk to someone about it, and have that person listen to the Spirit on their behalf and pray over them. This is actually the first week in over a year that we're gonna have a prayer team available. Uh, This week we're not only going to encourage you to listen to God's Spirit, but we'll share things. We think God wants to speak to some individuals tonight. And this week, we'll encourage you if you think you hear from God's Spirit or you just want prayer for anything to go back to the prayer team. Because we are a church that wants to be open to the Holy Spirit, our helper, our advocate. Now, as I said in the beginning, I realize there's probably people here tonight wa- or watching this on the live stream or listening to it on the podcast that are skeptical or you're uncomfortable with this Holy Spirit stuff, Uh, you know, it's unfamiliar territory, or you've been negatively impacted by people behaving in damaging ways in the name of the Holy Spirit. And at least I can relate. Uh, I can honestly say that I've been in all three of those places to some degree at some point in my life. But if I may, let me encourage you with this. The remedy to skepticism about the Holy Spirit, or unfamiliarity, or hurt, isn't to ignore the Holy Spirit and what He does. It's to learn and grow by practicing a proper, healthy relationship with the Holy Spirit. In other words, the remedy is to give it a shot, to take a step in the direction of the Holy Spirit To experience the Holy Spirit in ways he intended you to experience him. So we just took, right, like 15-ish minutes or so to look at the scriptures. And apparently, God has intended his people to have an experiential relationship with him through his spirit. Being with the spirit and experiencing him is intended to help us follow Jesus according to the scriptures. Let me come back to that story that I began with. So there I was, walking into this professor's office, about to begin my interview to see if I could enter seminary without an undergrad degree, objectively unqualified for seminary. You know, I had the sweaty palms, trembling hands, a racing heartbeat, anxiety. So we took our seats, and immediately I am in my head. Reminding myself, okay, so sit in a way that doesn't betray any anxiety, but don't sit too comfortably. Sit as if you're confident and relaxed. Which, what does that even look like? I have no idea, but but that's what I was aiming for in my head. And then I thought, oh crap. I think to myself, what should I call him, this professor? Do I call him Sir? Do I call him Professor? Do I call him Dr. Bershears? Josh had been uh, his student for a year or two at this point, and he had always referred to him as Gary, but am I allowed to do that? You're know, like, how formal is this thing? And then it hits me, crap, again, how formal is this interview? Because I'm sitting there in shorts and flip-flops. But I, I look at him, and I see that he's sitting there like wearing this polo with a Western Seminary logo that looks like it's from 1983. So I'm like can't be that formal. It's all like neon colored and stuff. (laughs) So all of these thoughts are running through my head. I'm tense. And I have this moment where I realize just what's happening with me. And for a moment, this thought hits me. Clearly, I'm not worthy to be here. My anxiety, fear, doubt, trying to sit, like confidently but relaxed. Ugh. All of it, all of this ridiculousness just proves it. I am not worthy. But at that moment, this professor looks at me and smiles and says something like, Oh, so you're at Van City with Josh Porter, right? And so I, I decide not to say yes, sir. I, I go with the less formal thing and just say, Yep, that's correct. And he looks at me, and he kind of chuckles to himself. And with a big grin, he says, Ah, Josh Porter, my favorite heretic. (laughs) And instantly, and and with complete sincerity, I just start laughing. I mean, I'm laughing really hard. That was not something I had prepared myself to hear. (laughs) We laughed together, and when... We had composed ourselves, my anxiety was gone. My body just relaxed into my seat. I was out of my head, calm, focused. And for the record, uh, the head of the theology department at Western Seminary does not think Josh is a heretic. He really likes Josh. Uh, It was just a cheesy theology joke that completely caught me off guard. Experiencing God's spirit over time feels a lot like that laugh I had with Gary. The release of tension, worry, anxiety, a centering, On the present moment, clarity, perspective, a sense of peace, not every time you sit with the Spirit, but a lot of times, and over time, over your lifetime, as you participate with the Holy Spirit, grow in intimacy with Him, you experience Him. But here's the catch, the experience of the Spirit isn't what we're intended to chase. It's not the end goal of this thing. As much as it may sound really good, the experience is actually a byproduct of the Spirit doing this. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. That is men and women equally valued in God's family. There are no second class children in God's family. And by him, by the Holy Spirit, we cry Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. The the Spirit tells us in our innermost being that we are God's children. And so, we listen for the Spirit. We prophesy, we pray for healing, we follow the Spirit's lead, and we listen to the Spirit on behalf of other people, friends, family, those in our community, and we share with humility what we think the Spirit is saying. So if you're new to all of this or reticent to it, here's my encouragement. Once again, give it a shot. When we take time to listen in the gathering tonight, we will in just a few minutes, go for it. I think the spirit really does want to say something to you or go back to the prayer team and ask someone for help to hear from God's spirit. We all need help at times. But again you are a son or daughter of god loved he holds you in high regard you're important to him you're valuable to him and the spirit tells us this in our innermost being he helps us experience these things not just believe them but experience them. To end tonight, I want to speak to those of you who feel spiritually thirsty or spiritually parched, you know, kind of in that desert place. Okay, so I think it's obvious that I can't, from here, assess why you're feeling that way. And maybe you can't either. Maybe you have no idea why you feel this way. And there could be a myriad of reasons. Ways of viewing God that cause you to put up a wall between you and him. Or it could be that you've uh, been harmed by people or by a church in the name of Jesus. Or it could be your own choices, choosing to act and live in a way consistently against the way of Jesus. It could even be something God's spirit is leading you through a season of learning to trust his love and, patience, uh, and presence, a season of pruning, something that's refining you, or it could be something else. Whatever it is, Jesus actually told us to ask for the Holy Spirit, and because God is a good father, he will give us the Holy Spirit. So, In a few minutes we're going to spend time together asking god to pour out his spirit on all of us and we're going to pray for each other now it doesn't it's not going to be as scary as it may sound but listen you may or may not experience something as we're praying tonight and asking god to pour out his spirit if you do maybe you experience something positive something new or different maybe something refreshing maybe For those feeling spiritually thirsty, you experience to agree that thirst quenched, at least in this moment, that's great. Embrace what God is doing right now in the moment. But maybe we pray for God's spirit to be poured out, and you feel nothing. Maybe as you ask the spirit to be poured out in your life, it feels like nothing is happening. If you're spiritually thirsty, It feels like there's nothing refreshing, nothing quenching your thirst in this moment. If you don't feel like anything is happening, do not panic. Do not assume God is ignoring you or is angry with you or that you are defective in some way. Just take a deep breath and trust God is present with you, even if you don't feel him. Just trust that the Spirit of God is in you and with you. That He is at work, even when you don't feel Him. And you can actually relax in that. You don't have to conjure up some sort of experience with Him in order to have Him work in you and to be with you. You can just take a deep breath, relax, if you'd like, you can even pray and ask Him why you don't feel Him in this moment or in this season of life. See if He says anything. So, before we do that, let me just invite God's Spirit to speak. We're gonna take. Thanks for listening to Van City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancitychurch. You can support Vancity financially at vancitychurch/give.